I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The fact that Statman Dave doesn't like The Office is, is a travesty. It is Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Chris Hennage. Hello, mate. Hello, T.U.T. and uh, Nico Morales. I'm just, I'm just enjoying myself, just having a great time. It's just a joy to speak to you, Chris, and Nico Morales, who's uh, the streak is now extending to what? Is it six episodes in a row, seven? This is uh, six episodes in a row, believe wow, it or not. They said it couldn't be done. They said it couldn't be despite, done. Despite here the people are. rioting. Yeah. writing that I get off the pod. I'm uh, going to stay on. Far from it, based on some of the reviews we're going to be reading out uh, in a second, but we'll get on to them. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As I said, it is the Q&A podcast. We're also going to be previewing the weekend's big English league action, uh, thanks to Fan League, so do stay tuned for that in part two. But as I mentioned there, guys, it's time for the whole of the week. Our favourite listener of the week, all you have to do to be in the shout is rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We've got four reviews to talk about today uh nico you get to pick the winner once again um let's go with first up ellis mpj who said my favorite podcast five stars this is a great podcast it's always the, fo- the first one i listen to after it comes out enjoy listening to your extensive knowledge about football and hope that one day i can do something similar could not live without your podcasts love from ellis p.s up welsh by trade ps2 thanks for the entertainment once again thank you very much for the kind words ellis uh next up the north s4 from the usa said he's 18 years old and lives on long island in new york uh i am an aspiring to be a football soccer coach and this podcast is a big part of me choosing that path i love everything about the podcast always have the great analysis it's the best football podcast i know of keep up the great work also dave should get spanish by trade tattooed on his body instead of bleaching his hair i think that's a great shout uh wonderful podcast from the paracon from the usa as well he says excellent podcast adam does a wonderful job hosting and keeping everyone on track well thank you uh statman dave nico and chris do a great job giving their insight into the game with the least amount of bias i've seen in a podcast uh you guys the, the work you guys do in this podcast pays off in my humble opinion keep up the great work and finally mad max 367865 from the usa says great great football podcast complete with an allman brothers intro song i'm from england but go to the university where the Allman Brothers are from. Uh, I mean, now, I didn't actually know, if you don't know where our intro song is from, 
basically me and Lawrence, I think we found it one day on SoundCloud. It's like one of those royalty free sort of, uh, you know, like royalty free because it's it's the the midnight the midnight rider by uh, the almond. <laughs> now, see, we didn't actually know this at the time. We just picked it up <laughs> off of some what claimed to be some sort of royalty free sort of remix uh, DJ. You know, one of those SoundCloud pages you get. You know, they're like, yeah, just use the music free. You're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, never, yeah. never heard of the Almond Brothers. And then, like, about a year into the podcast, someone messaged us saying, "Oh, I love the fact that you're using the Almond Brothers as your intro." And I was like. Oh, was it the manager of the Almond Brothers? <laughs> yeah. If like it was too late to change at that point, but if anyone associated with the Almond Brothers actually listens to the podcast, we're probably going to get into some, uh, some hot water. <laughs> but it's too late to change it. Do you know what I mean, uh, legal troubles may come, but you know you just got to stick with it. Once you started, you can't change. Uh, anyway, carrying on with this review, uh, amazing insight into the Adam, beautiful Adam game. says it's too late to change it now as he sits in in piles of, of lawsuits. From, exactly. From yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got the name Captain Copyright uh, from other instances before, but we'll move swiftly on. We don't need to talk about that. Um, amazing insights into the beautiful game from everyone involved in the show, from Statman Dave's incredible passion for statistics to Adam Bottle's ability to lead and move the conversation into the right channels, from Nico and Chris's extensive knowledge regarding both Premier League and MLS teams to Lawrence's witty humour and comprehension of both football and basketball. This podcast has it all. As an Arsenal fan, this podcast is a great way to get insight into other teams other than my own. A definite listen two times a week. Mad Max, thank you very much for your kind words and uh, reminding me that we are we are probably in some sort of uh, uh, there's some legal trouble coming. I'm sure from the Allman Brothers. Uh, anyway, Nico, you get to pick one of those four reviews. Uh, any particular ones standing out to you? I mean, there are a couple that shouted you out specifically. Yeah, which is always nice. I really appreciate the the mentions. I, I did barely get mentioned, if at all, before. Um, but now now it's nice to see a few mentions. I'm tempted to choose the one that ne- that neglected to mention Lawrence at all, which is kind of nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the one where we inspire, or you guys rather than myself, but uh, you know, we inspired him to be a, an aspiring coach is, is a good one because I think it's always yeah. nice to inspire people to do things. But I did like. The last one, Mad Max. I think I'm going to have to go Mad Max because he gave it an all-around constructive criticism mm. kind of praise. Good. It, was a, it was a good review. Uh, thank you very much, Mad Max. You are the winner of Hold of the Week. So do slide into the DMs on Twitter. We'll try and get you some Ferrero Rocher or PayPal, yeah, six or seven quid. That's just how it works nowadays. Uh, so let's move quickly and swiftly in to the questions then, guys. You've been sending them in on Twitter, as always, on a Thursday. So many questions to get through. Let's start with Luke Daw, who says, what are your opinions on the Mark Sampson fiasco? I feel bad for any Aluko as the whistleblower. Uh, the rest of the England squad seem a bit culty, given their whole team celebrations with Sampson for the first goal uh, against Russia. Uh, Luke's referring to that. Uh, might be hard to reintegrate for her on a personal level. Now, if you're not familiar with this situation, this is uh, something that's sort of blown up well, uh, over the past couple of weeks, really, um, here in England, uh, it's the England women's team coach, Mark Sampson. He has been sacked as England manager. Uh, it's sort of been this ongoing situation in there, Chris, where there were allegations against him, um, allegations of misconduct, I'd say, based on what Enya Luko had said were potentially racist remarks made by Mark Sampson. Uh, there were two inquiries, I believe, into those remarks um, that deemed Sampson was was not guilty of any wrongdoing, as it were. But yeah, he's been sacked today over different allegations with regards to his time at Bristol Academy when he was the manager of the uh, the women's team there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it's a it's a very confusing situation. It's a, it's a difficult one to try and unpick. Um, uh, but as it stands now, the whole thing is essentially, as Luke says, there a fiasco. It's a complete mess in terms mm-hmm. of the handling by the football association. It is, and I think I watched Craig Bellamy talk about it last night, um, and I think he hit the nail on the head. They're just trying to distance themselves from from him. That's what they're doing. They're rejecting him because I think they've realised themselves that um, with with the revelation of his time at Bristol, let's say that there is actually clearly a lot of mud sticking to Mark Sampson at this precise moment. It's it's not just. Uh, the, the situation with uh, Annie Aluko, which I believe it was Leanne Sanderson as well, who came out and said that there was there were some issues or at least alluded to the fact that there were some issues. Mm. Um, and I think, look, just because the, the players involved in the squad uh, embraced him, th- that to me is no great um, indicator of, of whether someone is a, a high on the moral uh, code of ethics. Because I think, if anything, that reinforces what Sanderson alluded to which is when you do go against him and when you do stand up to him that's when you're rejected and that's when you're ostracized from the squad I can't speak to whether Sanderson should be in the squad on a talent and ability level because I'll be very uh, open in saying I don't watch enough women's football I, th- I think personally the the thing that I can speak to with with at least some degree of insight is the FA to a man all those involved, I would say, from the second that the allegations at Bristol come to to light, I think those people have to go, because yes. I think I think this is the problem: is that too often we we punish the the guilty parties in this case, Samson, and he's been sacked. Yep, that's fine, but no consequence comes to the the gatekeepers and the infrastructure that allowed that and facilitated that to happen, because essentially what you're saying is is that. He had that incident at Bristol, which apparently he was found to have done no wrong in the same way that he was found to do no wrong with any Luco. So what's changed? And what's changed is they now want to distance themselves from him. They've decided, actually, we, we don't think you're worth carrying the can for. And so at that point, you're not making decisions to me, it seems like, or at least it appears that way. You're not making your decisions based on a moral standard of, of ethics. What you're doing is basing it on whether you think you can get away with it. And I think it's it's bordering on criminal from the FA and this is not the first time that they've done this oh, yeah. and I think it's it's for a governing body or a uh, you know that kind of um, struggling for the words here for, for, for that kind of institution mm. the standards should be higher than anything else anyone else they should set the standards in fact and time and time again they just don't whether it's the 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 scandal of um young players being uh, interfered with, with coaches and things like that. It's 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 just lurches from one terrible thing to another. And I think we've reached a point now where we have to say, hang on, yes, we aren't involved with the FA, but are we going to accept that these people are running the, the organisation? Are these the people that we want standing and protecting young people? Because that's mm. ultimately what's happened again here is that young people weren't protected from someone that should have known better. This thing, they do seem to, to lurch from crisis to crisis as you say they're the football association and obviously uh, i feel there's a lot more a lot more is going to come out uh, about how the fa handled this in the coming days there's going to be more uh, unsavory revelations i'm sure but uh, the fact that 
he hasn't been sacked for these ongoing sort of allegations that uh, have been dogging him in recent weeks and recent months with regards to Anyaluko, but the fact it, it was deemed inappropriate and unacceptable behaviour in the previous role, which now is coming out today. You know, they're saying this information only came to light to them last week, uh, or they only fully understood the the sort of the nature of the allegations last week. Again, that raises the question of why he was only sacked yesterday. Uh, as opposed to last week and was allowed to take the game against Russia earlier this week. But also now it's coming out today, or at least the BBC reporting, that the FA were warned against appointing him in the first place um, due to that behaviour with female players in the previous role. So there's obviously more to come from the situation. It's still sort of unfolding. We're still sort of fully understanding it. But whichever way you, you cut it, really, the FA is coming out on it once again very poorly. And as you say, there probably should be heads higher up they're going to be rolling as opposed to what looks like uh, the hierarchy at the FA trying to blame people further down the uh, further down the chain. So it's a whole mess, it's a whole fiasco as Luke says there, but as I say, there's there's definitely more to come on this one, so I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the coming weeks. Um, for now, let's move on to the next question. Alex Sanchez. Alex Sanchez says, who is your team's most overrated and underrated player? Good job, Lawrence, isn't here. Uh, his favourite type of question, I'm sure he'd. Uh, I'm sure he'd say, Chris, let's start with you. Who is Newcastle's most overrated and also underrated player? Uh, overrated. It's a tough. It's a tough question. Because um, yeah, they're all middlingly average. Really. <laughs> yeah. um, there is that. Most yeah. Overrated player. Why? What about you, Nico? One, Chris, having a think here. Surely there's got to be a, a Manchester City player who's a little bit underrated, maybe uh, sort of flying under the radar slightly. Um, I was going to go overrated first. I was like really thinking about it for a second, and I think the player that really comes to mind, even though you know the majority of them are world class talents uh, at their worst. Um, is I think Vincent Company. A lot of people tend to talk talk about him as if he's like the the magical solution to Manchester City's defensive woes without actually looking at how we play. And I think people are like, oh well, they just need Company back, and it's it's far more complex than that. I really I think he's uh, transitioning into maybe the twilight of his career, and and a lot of the injuries that he's had um, have a lot to do with his mobility, unfortunately. So I think now more than ever, he's a, he's a bit overrated. Anyone that's uh, underrated for you for for Mancy? Underrated, uh, that's a difficult one. I'd probably say Leroy, uh, not Leroy Sonny, sorry. Um, Raheem Sterling gets a little bit too much stick, and people tend to think that he's yeah. not as good as he is. And I think he, um, Pep Guardiola has spoken to the the quality that he thinks he possesses. And I think as we go on, you know, it's incredible to think how young some of these Manchester City starlets are, um, and that includes Raheem Sterling. So I think he'll do really, really good things in his career. Uh. Chris, have you had enough time to think of uh, an answer? I think overrated. <clears throat> excuse me. Could could probably go to John Joe Shelby. Mm. And I say that as someone who's a fan of him, so this is quite a, a tough uh, question to answer. Underrated, I'd say maybe Matt Ritchie, probably. Yeah. Or even it's Jamal Lascelles. I, th- I think because I Rich, the the thing with Ritchie is everyone frames him as um, just effort over talent, whereas I think that's really misleading. I think he's actually got a lot of talent and a lot of good technique. The difference is he matches it with sickeningly high levels of, of work ethic and work rate. Um, in fact, there was, a, I think it was the Stoke game, he was seen pounding a Red Bull before he went out, which is just, you know, crazy. Uh, um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say those two. 
Um, I'm trying to think for Spurs. I think uh, maybe if you'd have asked me last season, or specifically the start of last season, I might say Christian Eriksen's a little bit underrated. Uh, Spurs yeah. fans are sort of getting on his back, but I don't think that's that's really the case now. I think every uh, Spurs fan knows just how good he is. In terms of overrated, that is a, a quite difficult one. I think uh, I'm a big fan of Moussa Dembele. I think he is a fantastic player, but uh, sometimes uh, the way Spurs fans talk about him, uh, you'd think he is like the best midfielder in in the world, which isn't the case. Um, but yeah, it is a difficult question. It's a very hard question. Um, let's move on to, uh, let's have a look here. John Garcia has got a good question. Very succinct as well from John. Uh, what on earth is going on at Real Madrid? Uh, as Sergio Ramos himself said, Nico, they've had a fucking bad start. Uh, they find themselves currently seven points adrift of Barcelona. Um, they're the third highest placed Real team in uh, in La Liga, I believe. So yeah, it's not it's not exactly going well for them so far at the start of the season. Um, what's happening with Zinedine Zidane and his team, Nico? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think this is maybe a little bit of a hangover from the La Liga title that they've been chasing for so long. I, you know, knowing a number of Real Madrid fans myself, I know that the league title for them was incredibly important, possibly even more important than a Champions League title because they hadn't won it in so long and they had seen the dominance of Barcelona in, in La Liga for a number of years and when not Barcelona, it was even Atletico Madrid. They had allowed a, a third sort of superpower in Spain to arise um, and, and take another league title and, and previous to the more recent Champions League successes, um, everybody sort of had made the, the comments and the realizations that Cristiano Ronaldo had not actually Actually won that many team trophies when he was at uh, in his time at Real Madrid. Obviously, that's changed since. There have been a couple of amazing years, and obviously they've conquered the league uh, more recently. But I think I, I honestly haven't seen too much of Real this season. Um, but it's it's certainly a weird one considering uh, how well they did in the league last season. Um, and also, you know, we have to take into account that Ronaldo has been absent from the team. So I think maybe this is a different uh, transition point mm. for Real Madrid and the squad that they have, um, considering that they have to, and specifically Zinedine Zidane, is tasked with um, balancing the squad and using the squad in different ways, and specifically Ronaldo, who is someone that they've had trouble keeping off the field because he wants to play every game, because he wants to play so often. And so managing him into the later parts of his career and making sure that they can use him in an effective way that suits both him and the team is going to be a new challenge for Zidane this season. And I think that might be a little bit of what's going on. Um, and hopefully they can do that and, and continue to be the European superpower that we've always known them to be. Mm, it's a curious one. Um, obviously, they lost in their game last night to uh, to Real Batiste. They had 27 shots uh, during the game. Uh, I think uh, the keeper, the uh, the Batiste keeper, made a fantastic save to keep out Gareth Bale. At one point, if that had gone in, of course, things could have been very different. But as it was, it was sort of in the, the dying minutes of the game. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the clips sort of floating around Twitter. Uh, Batiste sort of kept possession fantastically, moving the ball around, pulling Real Madrid players out of position, whipping a fantastic cross and sort of that last-ditch header which which gives them the win. So it was a real shock, but a much-deserved sort of win almost for Batiste, sort of taking uh, taking Real Madrid by surprise. I've seen a lot of talk about Benzema being injured, you know, the problem not having a central striker there, obviously with Alvaro and Morata moving to Chelsea as well. But I think, you know, it's a curious one given we talked about the, the sort of crisis, as it were, at Barcelona at the start of the season. 
how well they're doing. I've got a feeling you know it might sort of turn on its head as the as the season goes on. We'll see Real Madrid uh, come back to come back to the fore as it were. The league title race is not over after five games, but um, yeah, in the Liga where draws are treated as defeats, it does seem a, a significant gap already. Seven points there. Um, next question from Brad. Brad says. Thoughts on Phil Neville saying Rashford is on Mbappe slash Dembele's level. Uh, do you think fans play down the the ability of English players? Uh, I'd be reluctant to say they play down the ability of, of English players, Chris. Uh, Marcus Rashford is someone getting a lot of hype uh, over here in the UK. Um, would you agree with Phil Neville? He's on the, on the level of someone like Mbappe, one of the most promising young players in Europe. I think if anyone's going to know, it's going to be Phil Neville, given that he played with Mbappe and Rashford. Um, I think that will give him the, the greatest insight. I, I think, honestly, there's no nothing to be gained from comparing them personally. I think Rashford is the most exciting young English striker. That works as a, a barometer on how well-looking is a national team. But I think other than that, it's just driving clicks needlessly. There's there's nothing to be gained from it. They're very To me, they're very different players. Um and I think that makes the comparison even harder. Did you see? Uh, did you see Philip Neville's other comments this week that uh, sort of came in for some uh, for some criticism? That's sort of... what I was alluding to. I, I think that's what Chris was was referencing. That didn't quite come off. But... Yeah, it was, uh, that was an interesting one. It's it does... not my fault. The shit audience didn't get the joke. <laughs> it brings us on to another question, though, uh, a related question. Matt Tinknell. Uh, says, where do you see punditry going? Seems lots of people are fed up of constantly crap analysis from ex-pros. Do you see a future think, for non-ex-pros? I think I think analysis or punditry analysis, at least within the mainstream, will stay exactly where it is um, because of not because it's good, but because the the comments that a lot of these guys make tend to drive controversy. And so if you're a media agency, the majority of thing that I think you're looking for is engagement and people talking about you. And that's what we do week in and week out. I mean, we've been subjected to it on the podcast. There are hundreds of other podcasts that do the same thing. Um, and, you know, there are articles and, 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 and attention driven to these media agencies. And it was a funny thing um, during the summer, John McKenzie, the team of John O'Shea's um, I guess person did a summer series in which he, uh, you know, spoke to a fan of each and every club to try to get, you know, a, a grounds eye view or a anti view of each club and to get some insight on some of their aspirations and experiences as different, uh, fans. And he, uh, I don't consider myself necessarily a Southampton fan, but I, I do watch them a lot. So I had, he had me, uh, he had myself, um, and one other guy on, and we both sort of, uh, tend to, uh, look at the the game tactically and a little bit more objectively, and there was little to no disagreement, and it was sort of a a very boring pod. And I sort of made the the point to him that um, somebody had told me a story as to why you know he was on the set and uh, of whatever show on Match of the Day or whatever, and they asked you know why do you guys still have Robbie Savage on? You know he doesn't he doesn't uh, seem to please a lot of people, and he's like well he he drives controversy. So I think. It all kind of stems from that. It all kind of stems from wanting engagement and wanting attention. Hmm. I think the, the issue here at the minute, and I've been thinking about this fairly recently, just from watching lots of different programs and things like that, is the circle or pool of potential interviewees or guests is incredibly small when you think. So 
the potential X players, I would say you're looking at maybe a dozen at most. And the same with journalists and things like that. It's it's very rare that you see a freelancer on mainstream media. So it's usually um, newspaper folk. I think actually, and, and by no means is this meant as a slant because I think he's very good at what he does. Look at the significant increase in opportunities on television that Miguel Delaney has now because he's with The Independent. He wasn't getting those, or at least I wasn't seeing him on uh, Match of the Day Extra and, mm. and the Premier League show and BT Sport when he was a freelancer. And I think that's the problem, is that when you have such a close-knit group and such a small circle, you're picking... Say, for example, you want to have a decent tactical discussion. You're picking the person that you think is the best at discussing tactics within that pool. And there might not be anyone who's genuinely that good at it. And when you actually diversify things and open things up and uh, not wishing to toot our own horn, but me and Lawrence kind of did that a little bit with Ball Street back in the day where we got the likes of Andy Brassel on. So it wasn't just fans. It wasn't just this. That then means that you can give yourselves different kinds of content. And I also think it keeps everybody honest because you're not expecting to be called up to these kind of shows you're thinking okay well i have to stay on top of things i have to actually go away and do things because i'm not just going to get a call from my agent saying yeah they want you back again and i think that's the problem is that the it's not a monopoly per se but i think certainly the scope for variance or, or variety of guests is is very small in in football media and that's a big part of the issue is that Again, they don't want to embrace outside voices or voices that, that maybe they're not familiar with. And I think that creates a very linear discussion. And, and I think that will likely persist as time goes on because people understandably become friendly with these these folk that they hire. And, and why wouldn't you want to hire friends at the end of the day? Mm. But I think long term, it's going to have to change. And I think if it's going to change, it'll come via the likes of YouTube. And I think when you look at, let's say, Spencer... FC or Spencer Owen for a second. The fact that he's been embraced in some mainstream quarters by the likes of Sky, it shows that they want to tap into that market, but I don't think they know necessarily how at this point. And so I'm not necessarily saying you'll see Spencer alongside Craig Bellamy discussing the Premier League, but I could see a day maybe someone with a little bit of outside box thinking looking onto YouTube and maybe trying to find someone like Dave or Nico and bring them in. But I think even then it'll it'll be in a very careful way. I mean, Dave's obviously done some MUTV stuff recently, mm. and I think that's a positive sign. But in the main, from a very macro perspective, I think you'll see the mainstream stay where it is and YouTube and fan channels, which are amazing, by the way, because the more I watch them, the likes of, and I'm speci specifically referencing Arsenal Fan TV here, the regulars on there treat that like they're a player being interviewed. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like the mm. more kind of the more exposure they get the more they act like they've just played 90 minutes as well which is really fascinating to me but i think what you'll see is is minimal crossover um but in a very safe controlled way and probably not in a serious way i don't think you'll ever see like robbie discussing what the actual problems in arsenal are it'll always be a very light-hearted type piece i am i think also if sorry to, no, to no, interrupt go you there adam but um i think chris makes a great point in in also the way that the difference between sort of the two mediums he talked about youtube and look at who look at the majority of of the type of people in the age group of people that consume youtube it's tend, tends to be the younger generation you know 30 and under or 35 and under and and people like that and it tends to be the the content that we're asking for and maybe the more insightful content whereas 
the type of content and the type of uh, you know show or program that's being produced on TV mediums, which is tends to be the older generation, that's the type of content that they tend to ask for because they come from a generation that says, okay, well, who's the most knowledgeable person on the sport? Obviously, somebody that played it. And that's not necessarily the case in the opinion of our generation, maybe the younger generation. Um, and obviously, it's a, it's a subjective opinion, but you know, they ask pros and they get content from pros because they enjoy and, and value that type of content. Whereas on YouTube, there are other people that are open to different, um, you know, points of view and, and things like that. And that's, that's where you get sort of the, the two consumptions. Mm. I am encouraged though by, as Chris mentioned there specifically, say Miguel Delaney, I think is, is a, a great journalist. Someone I enjoy hearing speak on the game, seeing him on you know, a sort of a match of day companion program, I think, is a positive step in the right direction, um, and I think that it, that is almost the next step of the evolution. It's gone from ex pros, we journalists, featuring more and more, and those sort of voices that haven't played the game, as you say, there, Nico. And then maybe in the future, you'll start to see in uh, sort of younger voices come through from uh, different mediums, not necessarily uh, big broadsheet newspapers, etc. Um, but yes, uh, we'll, we'll see how it develops. Uh, another question here from Jimmy Rossetti. It's a long question. Um, I think you're probably best place to tackle this one, Chris. Well, both of you are, I assume, actually. Uh, what can be expected of Christian Pulisic on both an international and club level? What is his ceiling and what do you think he will end up accomplishing during his career? How much can he carry the US men's national team at times? Teams have started to target him in their tactics and have shut him out of the games. Will this ultimately be good or bad for his development and his team as a whole? Thank you, guys. Hope you're all well. Um, Basically, sort of three questions in one there. But what can we expect of Christian Pulisic, Chris? Uh, is he as good as the hype is suggesting? I mean, it's it's timely because SportsCenter just put out a graphic the other day that showed Messi's statistics and Ronaldo's statistics at the same age. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the concern I have for him, is that any growth will be cast alongside the fact that he's seen as the American Messi, the American Ronaldo. I think his ceiling is exceptionally high because of his personality more than anything, the way he handles pressure. I think, I mean, personally, I think he's better technically than, than Landon Donovan, who you could argue is the benchmark for US players. And I also think he's a better personality than Donovan uh, in terms of the way he handles pressure and things like that. So... I think when you're looking at his ceiling, you can can say that, yeah, it's, it's a world-class ceiling, undeniably. It's a, it's a player that changes games, that has a big career and does a lot. At international level, my worry is, is that he becomes the fulcrum in a bad way. I think certainly you can build a team around him, but he's going to need... If you watch him for Dortmund, the reason he excels is because he has players of a similar mindset around him, players that want to move that want to operate in space, that understand space. I think sometimes with the US, they're still not sure how to properly use him. They'll put him out wide and use him as a winger like maybe Dortmund do, or they'll run him through the centre and he'll dictate things in that, but the movement around him isn't the greatest. I think that's, for me, that's one of the more pressing concerns for the US now. They have a few, to be fair, them decent players playing in Germany. Uh, Weston McKenney at Schalke is another one. Uh, Josh Sargent just joined Werder Bremen, but he's 17, so I mean, you've got a few years before I think he gets close. But you put those guys together in three or four years, you've got potentially a very exciting young core of, of players. I would say more exciting than, than maybe what's come before them in the previous sort of five, ten years. Um, so yeah, his potential is huge. I think it's this at this point, 
at least internationally, it's less about what he does and more about what those around him do. Um, whereas domestically, with his club and everything, yeah, I think I think he'll have no problem achieving that potential because he's got the right mindset for it. Here's a question from Alex Davison: Do you think Manchester City can continue the level they are currently playing at, and will they continue to keep the goals out, Nico? Yeah, certainly so. I think uh, with the performances that we've seen more recently, I think that's only the really the beginning of a sort of prototypical system that we're going to see out of Manchester City. And really, it, it comes from the fullbacks and the flexibility that they offer for the team that I've talked about a number of times. But I think the more that I see Manchester City play this season, the more it becomes clear as to what Pep Guardiola was trying to achieve last season. I think last season he was almost trying to take the athleticism out of the the formations and the the tactical you know ideas that he was trying to create because he knew that he didn't necessarily have the play, players for it so he was trying to compensate for that by doing certain things in possession and man, trying to maintain so much possession whereas now the team can be more dynamic it's, they they can be more full field than they are half field and I think that helps the team massively as to whether we can keep that up like I said certainly so um, and I think we're gonna see several different type of tactical plans out of Manchester City. The difficulty with that is that I think Ilkay Gundogan really operates at the at the center of their big game plans, you know, the games against Chelsea, the games against Liverpool, the games against, you know, members of the top 6 and other big sides in the Champions League and with him being you know, possibly injured again. I've, I've heard murmurings that I, they don't think it's too serious or this, that, or the other. The difficulty with that is that, you know, there isn't really another player that can fill that role quite the way that he does. Um, so I think in the big games that we may have a plan, it, it's one that we might struggle with without a player of his quality. And using Ayatore again in the same way that we did last season, I don't think is necessarily an option this season. So I think we can but it kind of depends on on the fitness of, of a few key players. Uh, Ashworth says, why aren't people talking about Sead Kalasinac as the best bargain signing this summer? Um, I think they are, aren't they? He was a free transfer. Am I right in saying that? I feel like I have to uh, Yeah, he was a free check. transfer from, from Schalke, and he was yeah. one of the most like touted after talents, and Arsenal swooped in on him relatively quickly and I think yeah he's been fantastic so mm. I just think people it get, kind of gets overshadowed by how big of a mess Arsenal seemed to be at, at all points in time yeah, he's been one of the few bright spots I think as they'd say uh, on a similar theme to the previous question Rutuj RMCF says will the Premier League be a two horse race between the two Manchester clubs uh, that is how it's shaping up at the moment Chris um, I think we're all excited to see a Guardiola Mourinho sort of battle for the title. That's what many people predicted at the start of the season. I think it's hard to see past either of them, really. It is a two-horse race, isn't it? It is still very early, though. I know what you mean. And I, th- I think, yeah, if I had to pick today, those would be the two. And I, and I like that because they have so much contrast in them in so much as the way that Mourinho likes to play, the Pep likes to play, the fact that Mourinho doesn't like Pep. It gives a little bit of spice, I think. Yeah, if, if those are the two that actually go on to, to you know take the last few furlongs together, then yeah, it's going to be awesome. Here's a great question from Mr. John Shin himself. He says, uh, which would you choose? A, whiskey at a jazz bar on an evening out in Chicago. <clears throat> B, great coffee on a rainy morning in Seattle. Or C, coconut juice on a beach in Hawaii. Now, that's a great question. 
I think, you know, over here in England, especially lately, we've had a, enough rain as it is, uh, and you can get great coffee over here, so I think I'll rule out B, you know, I'll get enough of that in England. Uh, whiskey at Jazz Bar in Chicago does sound lovely of an evening, but, you know, I'm talking about the, the weather over here. I've got to go coconut juice on a beach in Hawaii. I mean, that sounds great. Never been to Hawaii. Sounds beautiful. I'm going for sea every day of the week. Uh, Chris, is there any uh, particular one of those scenarios that's uh, standing out to you? Um, I have, you know what, my my missus really likes Chicago as a city, um, and she keeps saying we should go, so I will say Chicago. Mm, whiskey at Jazz Bar in the evening in Chicago, very nice. Uh, DK? In the words of uh, the true Jordy, coconut juice tastes like sperm. Or what he imagines uh, what sperm would taste like, and I can't yeah, necessarily I gonna... agree, agree uh, with that analysis. Does it but, taste um... different in your experience? Yeah. We'll not talk about that. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I get enough of the sunny weather here in Orlando. It's every day, and it's been really, really hot, and it's just cooling down now. And by cooling down, I mean temperatures right around 95 degrees instead of 105. Oh. Uh, so I'd probably say. The the rainy rainy morning in Seattle because mm. Seattle is absolutely gorgeous from what I've heard. So okay, interesting. Uh, he he's also followed up this question with on a serious note though, so uh, maybe he didn't want us to answer that question, but we have anyway. He said, "Which club do you think is the most unbalanced in Europe? Uh, I.e., too many midfielders, not enough defenders, etc." A uh, long time listener of the show, Carlos Alvarez chipped in and said, "I know the questions aren't for me, but I would say PSG." They're lacking a, a partner for Verratti, uh, a goalkeeper, some defenders, etc. Um, so, I'd probably say I was going to write something on this, and I still might. But I think, and I've talked about this before a little bit, I think the the move for James Rodriguez and some of the moves that they've made, uh, maybe for Tolisso and, and some of the other guys um, at Bayern, are really not Carlo Ancelotti moves, and they're more moves that are more consistent with the financial uh, financial behavior of the club. Because, you know, like I said before, they have to operate in a way where they're com- competitive in terms of uh, talent with the rest of Europe, by, uh, but they have to spend far less. And so that's, I think, why you see some of these complex loan deals. And, you know, to, it's really a coup to get, um, to get James Rodriguez for the, you know, supposed fee that they did on this uh, oddly structured loan deal. Um, but for as good as the players that they've gotten are, I think it really unbalances the, their midfield structure because obviously last season they had Xabi Alonso and, and Thiago Alcantara um, and uh, Alex Vidal in the center midfield, or Arturo Vidal, rather. Um, and that was really an excellent midfield and bar a, a wildly officiated game against Real in the latter season of the Champions League. You know, we might not see Real win that if that game goes differently, if Casimiro deservedly gets a red card. Um, so I think, although, you know, I can see their attempts to, to what they're trying, I think it, it's it's a weird project to mesh a coach that clearly didn't make those transfers, and it's more of, of the club doing and trying to ask him um, to do things with players that maybe he didn't necessarily want. Mm. Uh, Charles Antionades, another great question as always, says, if Tony Pulis's first name was Antonio and he held an Italian passport, no, where would he be managing right now? So I assume he's saying, if he was Antonio Pulisio or something, you know, he'd still be at West Brom, Chris. No, he'd be he'd be in probably the lower reaches of Serie B or Serie C. You think so? 
Yeah. Do you not think, you know, as Sam Allardyce famously once said, if he was called Aladici, he'd be uh, he'd be managing Real Madrid, that the, the these guys' English names, are, they're holding them back, Chris. I think they love a good, if my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle. Um, <laughs> and genuinely, I, I think stuff like that, it's just, it's just such a cop-out. And I think the same applies to Pulis. I think if you look at the way Pulis sets up and defends, it... Firstly, it's not the most expansive, and I think if you were to put him in a country like Italy where they teach you how to like properly defend as a team and focus on team shape and things like that, then he becomes, you know, he, he doesn't become anything remotely special. He's special because English football does not operate with that same understanding and that same emphasis on defensive coaching and team shape for the most part. So that's that's why I think he's been able to forge a solid career. Mm-hmm. But no, this this yeah, that kind of... If he was, you know, Italian or Spanish or whatever, would he be higher and more respected? No, no, he wouldn't. He'd have uh, he'd have beaten Zinedine Zidane to a back-to-back UEFA Champions League. I think that's what we'd be seeing right now. Because um, he wouldn't be able to attack. <laughs> that's the difference. Like yes. that, that's that's always been the issue with his teams. You look at Stoke, for example, spent obscene amount of money, wasted on players which he wouldn't have got in Italy, um, because they can't afford that kind of spending. If you're not at one of the big clubs. And you could argue the same with, with West Brom. He's, he's spent a lot of money that, that hasn't really been, I would say, well invested. Another decent question here. Good question from Carlos Zaldivar. Um, Can there be any doubt regarding Messi being the best of all time? He has been the best ability-wise for almost a decade and can do it all. Uh, obviously impressing so far this season. Nico, talk that he's back to his best. Is it nine nine goals in six games? Have I got that right? Um, Something like that. Yeah. yeah uh, obviously, uh, you know, we've talked about this many times on the podcast before with the the unending Messi versus Ronaldo debate. But uh, is he the best of all time for you, Nico, in your uh, in your experience? I think, um, regardless of the fact that the the, the, the kind of answer to the question is subjective. It's difficult to look past Messi for a couple of reasons. And I think the, the major one being that it, it's kind of regardless of what you do to him, he can still find a way to affect the game in, in such a drastic way. And I think that's kind of what makes him the best player of all time. You know, if he is, you know, not having the best dribbling day or you can find someone like Jose Mourinho, I think put uh, Pepe in midfield a few years ago to try and stifle him. And it did work. Um, dribbling wise but now that he's evolved his game a little bit more he, he's a brilliant passer of the ball um, and when that doesn't work you know he, he can do different things off the ball to to make himself influential he scored that brilliant header against Manchester United in the Champions League final all those years ago um, and so he's just a, a player that's so complete and so threatening in a number of ways that and he not only that but he seems to do impossible things on the ball um, in terms of his dribbling ability that it's difficult to look past Messi as the greatest player of all time for those reasons. Even though the greatest player of all time is subjective, it's it's kind of very much so. really hard to say. Hard for us to, to sort of compare Messi to Maradona and Pele and all those uh, sorts of players. We're obviously in the conversation because you know we're lucky enough to get to watch Messi every week. We can watch full matches of him whenever we want. We can watch all the best highlights, etc. You know, it's not necessarily a fair comparison because we don't have the, the same resources at our disposal. But um, yeah, I'm a big Messi fanboy. He's the greatest. He's the GOAT. I think that's what the kids say. Yeah. Uh, here's another La Liga theme question from Prudvi. Um, 
uh, interesting question, uh, 2017 football question, I think it's fair to say. Do you think Paulinho is trying to win over Messi? Because if he likes you, Barcelona likes you. I say this based on... Uh, what does it say? Based... I say this based on his style of play and also him liking all of Messi's Instagram photos. Neymar also still seems to love Messi no less than before. Do you think he misses him as much as he wanted this move? Uh, interesting question there. Uh, try to unpack that. So is Paulinho trying to win over Messi, Chris, by liking all of his Instagram photos and therefore become ingratiated in the club and Barcelona? I think that's what Prudy's saying. I don't think so. <laughs> it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to give a yes or no on that. Um, I'm sure I think he if does... you were going to try and win someone over, you'd do it in person, wouldn't you? Instead of just yeah, I'm sure the the more uh, Palino performs Barcelona, the more times that he maybe sets up Messi, etc. You know, I'm sure Messi's more concerned with the on the pitch uh, happenings than uh, than getting likes from Palino on Instagram. Uh, Neymar as well. The second part of this question is: Do you think he misses? Messi, uh, I think that much is clear. Probably he might not have had a spat with Messi over the penalties as he uh, as he did with Cavani earlier in the week. Um, but you know, hard for us to say. I think it's very hard for us to say. Uh, let's rifle through a few more questions because time is running out. Uh, here is a question from Karim Solomon, long-time listener. Uh, in the wake of Ryan Mason's possible early retirement, should heading the ball be outlawed? That is a big question, Chris. Um, feels somewhat timely uh, given the Mane incident a few weeks back. Uh, uh, talk that you know uh, certain aspects of the game maybe should be outlawed in terms of protecting the players. Uh, some saying it's a man's game; you can't change it like that. It's a contact sport, etc., etc. Uh, do you think we'll ever see heading the ball be outlawed? Uh, it is at some age groups. Um, in the US, I think it's under 14. You're not allowed to head the ball. And then a little bit after that, it's it's regulated to some degree, which I think honestly is is a wise way to do it. I th- the whole, it's a man's game, yada, 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 when I was a kid, et cetera, et cetera. That just doesn't wash with me. If, if we know scientifically that it's, it's not safe for a, a child under the age of 14 to head a ball, we shouldn't be getting them to head a ball. Um, I also personally... It's just me. I don't think it's a a skill that you have to be honing from a young age. I think it's something that that can be developed sort of slightly later in in life, if you will. It's it's not like the technique of a of kicking the ball. It's um to me at least, it's a totally different uh, ball game, if you'll pardon the pun. But yeah, I think I think anyone going back and looking at it that way, it's you're just being incredibly naive about the situation. I think also if I can add on to that, having a, a friend, you know, friendship with uh, someone within the neuroscience community, Nipun Chopra, um, you know, he's spoken about the the different research and how we're we're really in a good place in terms of neuroscience. Obviously, we're farther than we ever have been um, before, and and understanding head injuries and understanding uh, the impact that uh, different. Uh, forces have on the spinal cord and and the brain Mm. is an interesting thing that we're discovering now and uh what he talked about in terms of nfl but also uh you know regular football or or soccer um is that we're just now kind of uh finding out that 
you can actually you don't necessarily have to be concussed to have uh, damage to either your your uh, brain stem or your spinal cord or, or your brain um, because there are these things called uh, micro uh, I think micro fractures and it's basically like if the if the head comes into a, a certain trauma um, there can be these little cracks and over time those little cracks go over and over again they've uh, been led to uh, be correlated with Alzheimer's disease and all sorts of uh, mental disorders that tend to, uh, I guess, be exacerbated as one gets older. Mm. Um, so I think with heading the ball, we may never see a time or never see a time within the near future that heading is is outlawed. But it's something that I think as neuroscience develops and in our, in our information into neuroscience and the impact of trauma onto the head and spinal cord um, advances, it's something that I think we definitely need to look into. And like Chris said, the talk of, you know, this is a man's game, this, that, the other, I think we would always put, you know, the risk of someone having a, a serious uh, neural disease later on in their life over a goal or, or a performance within a, a game that is ultimately meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah. It is a really interesting question. I think, as you say, that the, the more we sort of understand through science, the more, uh, well, we'll see if it becomes, you know, uh, the studies. I think there was a study last year that sort of came out that suggested that, you know, even the sort of the modern lighter footballs uh, in today's game can still cast cause sort of lasting brain damage um uh, despite you know it being a much lighter sort of safer ball as it were than than uh than previously in football but um it's interesting one because obviously ryan mason sort of went up for that header cracked his skull uh after colliding with another player there was an incident recently actually in one of the uh hashtag united games where one of the defenders uh jamel one five who i'm sure some guys know from youtube sort of went up for header um he sort of collided with the back of another player's head and he's fractured his eye socket, you know, and it was quite dangerous. It was quite sort of, um, uh, not life-threatening, but there was the case that, you know, it could affect his eyesight, etc. There's all these sort of issues that sort of come into play of it. So, you know, maybe it will one day there will be that uh, heading is outlawed as, you know, it becomes clear that, as you say, he goes, simply not worth it, almost. Um, let's move on to the final few questions. Uh, we'll save the important questions for last. Uh, Alex says, what is your favorite episode of The Inbetweeners? Uh, great question, Alex. Uh, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of The Inbetweeners. I don't know if you're, uh, you're a big watcher yourself, Chris, but I never quite understood when it was on TV why it was this, uh, this sort of phenomenon over here in the UK. It was just mildly amusing at best. Yeah, you posh boys were never going to like it, were you? <laughs> nah, just, just not for me. Just not for me. Have you seen it, Nico? The, the American version is not as good. Is it an American version? Is it a remake? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't yeah. seen the American version, but I've seen the uh, British version on Netflix, and I thought I thought it was like you said, it wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but it yeah. you know was soft humor that was kind of funny. I think so. I like the episode. If I have to remember back, the one where he like lost the door at the amusement park of his car. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, a decent one. it's just like some people treat it like it's The Office or something. It's not a seminal classic. Nothing is Sick close off. to the office. For that and the age fact group that age. the yeah. fact that Statman Dave doesn't like the office is, yeah. is a travesty. Calls into question everything you you know about Statman Dave. Um, another seriously uh, important question from Dexter Mouse, who says, "What was the best decade for proper footballers' hairstyles? Was it the seventies or the eighties? Um, surely, I'd say for proper football hairstyles, it's got to be the seventies, isn't it? But for like, it's, it's the decade that tastes forgot the eighties for just some mad." <laughs> Some mad hairstyles coming out. Chris, didn't you do something on uh, Carlos Valderrama? I did indeed. 
he had some he was had it all about his hair? hair was that was that the main sort of aspect no of but you know what everyone i spoke to um or everyone i told oh, i'm doing this piece on valderrama they would all reference his hair at some point he's a, a fascinating signature. character though um the final question well, it's not even a question. It's probably just something we should talk about. Uh, given that a few minutes before we started recording, it was confirmed that Chelsea have agreed terms with Atletico Madrid to sell Diego Costa, um, returning to his former club there. Uh, obviously, he can't play until January because of the, uh, the transfer ban that Atletico Madrid are currently subject to. He can't be registered until then. Um, BBC reporting that the movie is subject to agreement of personal terms and a medical. But he has got his wish, Chris. He will be returning to Atletico Madrid. Um, surely is this a deal that sort of works for all parties involved? Antonio Conte wanted him out. Diego Costa wanted to return to the club. Atletico Madrid wanted him back. Maybe the only losers at Chelsea in this equation who might not quite see the transfer fee that they would have wanted for, for such a fantastic striker given the way Antonio Conte dealt with the situation in the summer. Yeah, I think I think the the fee they've got is, is actually really good. Um, it'll be easy to evaluate next summer because I'm not too sure whether the market rises again in terms of fees or, or drops back to a little bit more normality. But when you consider, I mean, he's 28, so you've got to assume his prime years are probably coming to an end in theory. <laughs> I've just seen, um, sorry, I've just seen that the fee is, is the fee 53 million pounds? I think it's yeah, I think it's fifty five million euros plus ten million right. bonuses. And yeah, stuff. I didn't see that on the BBC. So scrap everything I just said about Chelsea losing out on the fee. Uh that is great. That is great. It's fifty three million. He's twenty eight, isn't he? Diego Costa. Yeah. So he's he's twenty eight. He's, he's a bit of a bit How, of a nuisance. Surely Atletico Madrid this surely they could have got it for cheaper than that, surely. They know he wanted to leave. Everyone it's not like they were trying to force Chelsea into into sending him. Everyone knows he wanted to leave. Yeah, but Chelsea would probably have turned around and said, well, we'll just eat up the salary, we don't care. And and at the same time, Costa probably really wants to play. I'm, I know that uh, there are players out there who would happily sit on a wage and, and not care, but I think for him, because the other thing you've got to remember as well is, if he doesn't show up for training, if he doesn't do his end of the bargain, he doesn't get paid in theory because they can mm. just keep fining him for not showing up. And if he's not happy living in London and he's not playing and he's just training essentially losing more momentum like losing fitness all that stuff like there comes a point where all the money in the world is not going to make any difference to you so i would be i, I would say for me this is a good example of, of brinkmanship and, and good negotiating from chelsea because they just realized is good... he wants to go more than we want to keep him i know we sort of sometimes we criticize chelsea's transfer policy nico and uh, there's definitely instances where uh, it's baffling, I think it's fair to say, specifically in the Manu Matic move earlier in the summer. 40 million is a lot of money, of course, but uh, sending a player uh, that good to a title rival, as it were, it does raise question marks. But at the same time, they have sold a number of players in recent seasons for great fees, really, recouping a lot of money. Nathan Ake, I'm thinking of 20 million, although he's a very talented young player, it's Bournemouth this summer. Now 50 million for Diego Costa. Was it 60 million? Maybe more than that for Oscar uh, when he moved to China last year. So there is that aspect that they are, you know, the outgoings as they were. They are reaping the rewards for Chelsea. 
Yeah, I think financially they've done extremely well um, without going deals, and they always seem to. But I think this is a, a move that possibly could have been avoided. Um, although they, they have plenty of decent strikers in Mishi Bechuai and Alvaro Morata, who has settled in perfectly fine, this is one of those things that seems to go along with Conte's personality when he's at a club. You know, if he doesn't like a player, then they're just out. There's nothing that the club can really do about it. They're just out. It's a, it's a uh, poor relationship, and it's kind of a really weird way to manage your squad, and I don't really know what it says to the rest of the players if something like that can happen to even Diego Costa, um, regardless of what happened in January, but it, it is really weird, and I think this could actually be a move that comes back to bite them, because I, I think this is a... I, I don't want to say statement of intent from Atletico Madrid, but obviously with their new stadium, you know, they have been extremely frustrated in recent years with their development in Europe. They've been to, I think, two or three finals in the past couple of years. And I think this is a signing that the partnership between Anton Griezmann and Diego Costa that could form um, with him coming in January, you know, if, if the team is hitting the stride at the right time. Atletico, I think, could finally win the Champions League. That's a that's a that's probably one of the best stri- strike partnerships, in my opinion. Um that that could that could exist in modern football, so uh, I think it could could come back to bite them if they want to achieve something in the Champions League. One hell of a fee, though. One hell of a fee. Um, okay, so that's the questions. That is the end of part one. Let's get into part. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Two. Part two is the weekend preview in association with Fan League. As you all know by now, Fan League is the new football prediction app that you take on your mates to predict the outcome of the weekend's top English football matches. With Fan League, you predict the outcome of 13 English league games each weekend, selecting a home win, an away win, or a draw, competing for weekly and seasonal cash prizes. If you predict 10 results correctly, you win. If you predict 13 results correctly, 13 out of 13, you will be the player of the week and you will win big cash prizes. The great thing about Fan League, part of the reason we've partnered up with them, is not just that it's great fun, but also they are donating 10% of their revenues to youth and grassroots football projects, which is lovely. Uh, we have a front le- free league set up, so if you want to join in, you want to challenge us and prove you know football better than us, click the Fan League link in the description of this podcast, download the app, get involved and take us on. There's limited space in the league, only 100 people are allowed to enter, so do get clicking to take us on, because we're doing pretty well right now, I've got to say. We had a a shaky first week, but last week we actually got 10 out of 13 predictions correct. Uh, 10 out of 13. 10 out of 13, I'm I'm pretty impressed. I think we did a great job. Uh, The only ones we got wrong were Millwall Leeds. We went from Millwall win. Uh, Leeds, in fact, winning away from home there. Um, oh, sorry, I, no, it's the other way around. <clears throat> we went for a Leeds win. 
wrong. Completely wrong. It was a Millwall win. Uh, they got all three points there. It was a home win. Uh, Cardiff, Sheffield, Wednesday as well. We went for a Cardiff win at home. There's actually a draw in the end. And, of course, we actually got Newcastle v Stoke wrong. Uh, we went for a Stoke win. Uh, but Newcastle actually came away 2-1 winners. Uh, but we got everything else right. Yeah, uh, you're here now, Chris. You can uh, you can sort of correct any potential uh, Newcastle results, steer us on the right track. Uh, so this week... Let's start off with the Premier League games. Uh, we have Stoke versus Chelsea on Saturday at the 3 o'clock kickoff. Uh, what do we reckon, Chris? Go for an away win here. Chelsea, obviously the previous game, Drew of Arsenal now missing David Luiz. Uh, could potentially affect them, but away win, surely. 90% of fan league users are going for uh, a Chelsea win here. Stoke City at home, though, that's a tough one. They push Man United all the way. I don't know about a Chelsea win on this one. Admittedly, Stoke won great last weekend when I watched them. but We could go for a Chelsea yeah. win and we, we could use it as one of our, our hedge fixtures. We can sort of go for a draw as well. So we can go for a Chelsea win and a draw, sort of double up on our predictions. Hang on, I want to check be the safe. weather in Stoke on Saturday. <laughs> is that, is that's, what, that's what's going to affect it. Cloudy with a t- precipitation of twenty percent and eighty-one percent humidity. Hey, that's, that's, Are we in agreement? That draw that's to me. Wet day in store. Uh, wettish. Twenty-eight percent. Did you say, Charles? Yeah. yeah. Damp. Not wet, but yeah. damp. Doesn't qualify as Out. wet for me. Moist. Draw. Yeah, I'm gonna say draw. Draw or start win for me. I'll go, I'll go for a. I'm going to go for a Chelsea win overall. Oh, we haven't got Zuma though. That's an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. See, there you go. You've got to consider all the factors. It's not just the I'm precipitation. Um, we'll go for a draw and a and a away win as well. We'll hedge one there. Uh, Southampton, Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United, obviously, uh, firing on all cylinders right now. Nico, the only stumble, that dropping of points at Stoke, as Chris mentioned before. Uh, away win here at Southampton for Manchester United. Uh, yeah, I think Manchester United will probably win the game pretty comfortably. Uh, their new manager is still getting things settled, and they haven't finished well in front of goal, so I think it'll be a pretty easy win for, for Manchester United. We'll go for an away win there. Manchester City, uh, welcome Crystal Palace. Are they going to stick four, five, six, seven past them? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, ten past them. <laughs> ten? My God. Roy Hodgson, uh, surely he's Roy Hodgson, put to, the, put to the sword. I like the I like the sound of that. Um, what do you reckon, Chris? Home win, home win, surely for Manchester City. Yeah, I think I'm going to say four 0 City. Oh, it's gone for the specifics. Like that. We'll go for home win. Uh, Everton, Bournemouth. Uh, this is an interesting one. Everton, of course, uh, pretty poor form in recent weeks. Um, could they get a much needed home win though, Chris, against Bournemouth? Ooh. Um... Bournemouth are a funny one. They were good against Brighton, but Brighton weren't great. Everton, decent in the cup. I'm going to say 2-1 Everton, I think. Okay, we'll go for a we'll go for a home win then for Everton. We could hedge it with a draw, you know. We'll come, we'll come to that at the end. Um, also, in the Premier League this weekend, we've got Sunday's fixture, Leicester against Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, of course, have uh, sort of been middling in previous weeks. That's on um, Saturday. Is it? Sunday in Tokyo. You're still right. <laughs> I was still right. It's Sunday somewhere. It's Sunday somewhere in the world, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, on Sunday. I to those East Asian listeners. Saturday if you're in the UK. Uh, Let's just take it on Liverpool, Nico. Um, 
What do we reckon to this one? Surely loads of goals. I think uh, I think it's going to be a repeat of the earlier in the week fixture in what the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup, whatever yeah. one it was. Whatever they call it. I think now. it'll be a it'll be a Leicester win because um, <sighs> Liverpool won't learn their lesson. Really? Okay. Only twelve percent of family users are going for uh, for a Leicester win, but I, quite, I like the sound of it. Uh, there's something there's something in my gut telling me, yeah. There's, some, there's something about Lawrence uh, Lawrence McKenna's disappointment that that just drives you up the wall. Yeah, I might hedge it with a with a Liverpool win as well. So we, we, we're getting the best of both worlds. Go for a Leicester win and a Liverpool win. Um, <laughs> nothing else to draw will happen. Uh, we've also got this one is on Sunday uh, in the UK. Uh, Brighton versus Newcastle. Chris, um, three wins on the spin for Rafa Benitez's side. Um, they're going to win this one as well away at Brighton, aren't they? Against former. Newcastle manager uh, Chris Shute. So, the reason they won this last season was because Brighton aren't, in my experience, that great at dictating a game. Um, they prefer to sit off, they prefer to soak up pressure and counter-attack, and Newcastle essentially did that to them in the same way they did it to Huddersfield. I think Newcastle will be very strong defensively. I'm just loath to See, whenever I doubt Benitez, he proves me wrong, but now I'm triple second double-guessing myself. Um, so I feel like there's too much going on in my brain to give you a genuine answer here. Hmm. Um, I'm going for a Newcastle win. Uh, I'm going to hedge it with a draw as well, because I think a draw could happen. But, um, yeah, I think Newcastle win. They're on form. They're fourth in the league. It's all coming up in my house, etc. Um, also on Saturday, we've got Burnley-Huddersfield. Now, that is an interesting one. Um, very split in terms of uh, in terms of how family users are predicting this one. Um, both teams have got the same statistics going into this match: two wins, two draws, and one loss. Uh, Burnley have been pretty stubborn in recent weeks. Nico, they're back at home now. Do you think they could uh, get a win here? Yeah, I think Chandish uh, tends to tends to do really well at home with that Burnley side. So I'm I'm going to back Burnley. Okay, okay. Uh, let's talk the uh, Championship fixtures then briefly. Um, First up, we've got Sunderland-Cardiff. Cardiff flying high this season. Chris, should we go for a Cardiff away win? Hmm. You reckon Sunderland I love, can, I love the, can turn the, things the around? on their flag, so. Yeah, you know what they say about Cardiff. It's, yeah. It's, you know I, what they say. I, I'm going to say Cardiff win, because Sund- okay. Sunderland are in a bad way at the minute. They just can't seem to do anything. Yeah. There's just no, there's no spark there, you know? Hmm. Uh, QPR Burton, ninety-two percent of family users going for uh, going for a QPR win. Burton did win last weekend, but I think QPR at home will go for a home win. Uh, we've also got Leeds against Ipswich. Leeds, of course, uh, been fantastic in the championship so far this season, top of the table. Um, Ipswich, though, uh, playing well in recent weeks. Tempting to go for Leeds, though, seeing as they're at home. We'll go for a Leeds home win there. Um, on Sunday in the Championship, oh no, still Saturday, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest as well. Uh, Steve Bruce's side uh, did win their their last game against Barnsley, hoping that that's going to turn around their form. I think we'll go for a home win there for Villa against Forest. Uh, and finally, uh, in the Championship, we've got the Sheffield Derby, Sheffield Wednesday against Sheffield United. Mm, first Sheffield Derby in a while. Ah. What do we think here? I think let's go for a home win. Let's give home advantage to Sheffield Wednesday. We'll hedge it with a draw as well. Um, 
the final fixture to discuss, one I forgot about there, Swansea-Watford as well on Saturday. Um, Swansea, of course, I'd say dominated by Spurs last week, but still managed to come away with a nil-nil. Um, a good defensive performance, I think it's fair to say. Uh, can they actually get three points home against Watford, though, who were smashed last week by City? What do you reckon, Chris? Swansea home win, draw. It's a tough one to call. It is, isn't it? Because mm. Watford were doing well until Man City smashed them to bits. I'm tempted um, to say draw, and then what they, we can do they is... didn't. They didn't play that bad against us, though. I mean, I know six nil is six nil, but they didn't play as poorly as people. You just played that. insanely well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watford, Watford, Watford. I'm sure, there are people screaming at the the television, at the television, the the, the iPhone or whatever they're listening on at the minute. Um. Yeah, I'm going to say draw. Yeah, I'm going to say draw. Watford have got a decent defensive record, Man City aside. Um, but they've got a decent defence, at least. Uh, and, yeah, I feel like this. I feel like Carrillo, the one they got from, from Benfica, may come into his own here. Um, yeah. We'll go for, for a draw. That. We'll go for a draw. We're playing that. We're playing that. Um, I'm confident. Yeah, 10 out of 13 last week. I think it could be 13 out of 13 this week we could get them all right um guys if you want to join us if you want to prove that you know football better than us uh beat us beat our 13 out of 13 that we're definitely 100 percent getting this week then sign up to fan league you can find the link in the description of this podcast you'll also go on twitter at the front free you can check out our predictions there and also uh, also click the link to join uh, we look forward to taking you on there for now though that brings an end to the Q&A and Weekend Preview Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Until Monday, when we're back with the Weekend Review, as always, Chris Hennage, where can the listeners, where can the whole find you? In, in a jazz bar in Chicago. Ah, oh, the dream. The dream of dreams. Uh, Nico, where can they find you, apart from having a nice coffee uh, in Seattle? They can find me on Twitter at Nico underscore Omoralis. Uh, join me there. Mm, great stuff, guys. You can find me. Where can on they find Twitter. you? Well, they can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood, um, tweeting irregularly. But uh, do follow me nonetheless. Come and follow us at the front free as well. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, have a bloody great weekend. Mm-hmm.